it is going to be so good, isn't it? When he comes back, man, it is going to be so great and so great forever and ever. We will look upon his face and we'll leave behind this world with all of its sorrow and sin and disappointment and discouragement. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. I'd like to start off this morning by reading some scripture together. I'm going to take the first slide and then you guys follow with the the second slide, and we'll just rotate through. It's a very familiar uh, passage to you, very familiar psalm. It's, it's 3,000 years old, um, written by a king, a, a warrior, uh, by a man who chased after God's heart and had more than his share of struggles and disappointments, King David. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Heavenly Father, Lord, how incredible it is to know that the Lord, that you, the sovereign king of the universe, are our shepherd. The one who's over all things and before all things is the one who is watching after us, is the one who's providing for us and who is protecting us. And Father God, I pray this morning that as we, as we share from your word, God, I, I pray that your word will come with power, Lord. I, I pray that because of what we talk about in here, something will be different out there in our homes, where we work, where we live, in our community and beyond. God, may we not just be hearers of the word only, God, but may we become doers of the word. May we honor you by obeying your command, showing you that we both know you and that we love you. And God, enable me to speak these words in a way that points only to you. And may you be honored in this place, your church, your house, your home today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, 2,000 years ago, while in the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, an international and multi-ethnic city uh, located on the northern border of the Sea of Galilee, a region that was a melting pot of culture, skin color, and religion, I mean, every possible food was served there, and every possible deity was worshipped there. Now, can you imagine the culture shock for these homespun disciples of Jesus? It would be kind of like a a person who grew up in a very small town who went to New York City for the very first time, and seeing things they'd never seen before, and hearing things they have never heard before. Well, Jesus, right in the middle of of this flood of culture and religions, gathers his disciples around him in a horseshoe, and he asks them a question. Who do people say that I am? And they start spouting off answers. Some say you are this, some say you are that. And then Jesus looks at them and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And now I sense that 
they're not so quick to spot off answers. Uh, maybe they ducked their head. Maybe they turned away. Maybe they <clears throat> cleared their throats. And, and, and finally, Peter spoke up. And, and, and these may be some of the most astounding words ever spoken by a human being. I mean, Peter looked at this penniless rabbi from a backwoods town called Nazareth, and he says, you know, I think you're the Christ. I think you are the Messiah. I think you are the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him, gives him a hearty high five, maybe even they chest bump together, and he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, on this truth, on this truth about who I am, that I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah, that I am the Son of the living God, on me, on the great I am, I will build my church. And remember, it's the word ecclesia. It has nothing to do with geography, nothing to do with the building, nothing to do with the place, and everything to do with people. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my people, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Yes, my people will burst through the gates of death itself and bring people the newness of life. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I believe that this summer, as we live in a culture that worships every kind of deity, and that has many different opinions about Jesus, I believe that Jesus is gathering us around him in a horseshoe. And, and he's not only asking us, who do you say that I am? Or seriously, just who is Jesus to you? Somewhere to look at your life from Monday to Sunday, who would they say Jesus is to you? Uh, but he's also asking us, do you want to be the kind of church do you want to be the kind of Jesus followers that will grow and flourish and expand and that will keep pressing forward into every corner of the world? Do you want to become a, a Jesus gathering that is an unstoppable force, bringing my mercy, my truth, my love, and my grace to a dark and broken world that needs me so desperately? I mean, seriously, picture Jesus looking you in the eye like he did on the road to Caesarea Philippi and ask you those questions. Do you want to see my kingdom expand and my gospel spread? Do you, do you want to see broken people mended, hurting people healed? Do you want to see lost people found? Do you want to see captive people set free? Picture Jesus looking at you and say, do you want to be a light in this world of darkness, hope in a world that is hopeless, and purpose in a world that is drifting? If so, then he would say, do everything you can to help answer the prayer I prayed in the garden 2,000 years ago. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And I've given them the glory that you gave me. I've given them the Holy Spirit, the power to make this happen, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
What did Jesus pray for us, for me, for you, for the person to your right and left, for everybody in this room? That we'd be one. That we'd be brought to complete unity. The question, why mere moments before his arrest and mere hours before his death and crucifixion would Jesus pray only for that? I mean, he didn't pray that we would build great buildings, that we would preach great messages, that we would have a great worship, that we would do great things. He simply desperately prayed for just one thing, that we be one. He prayed for real, true, complete unity among his Jesus gathering. Why? Because Jesus knows that the entire deal, that the spread of the gospel and the redemption of mankind depends on us, this Jesus gathering, being one, being in complete unity. And that is why any actions or behavior that causes disunity is not only sin, it is dangerous. And that's why Paul said to Titus in Titus 3.10, warn a divisive person once, warn them twice, then after that, have nothing to do with them because unity is paramount. And listen, since the entire deal hinges on us being one, when you flip to the pages of the New Testament, you find that the primary activity of the local church was one anothering, but you love that word, one another. Uh, it was focusing on behaviors, actions, and attitudes and lifestyles that would demonstrate to a watching world the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, those words that Jesus spoke in the upper room that night penetrated deep into the hearts of his disciples. A new command I give you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And listen, the way that we flesh out this command to love one another, just as Jesus loved his disciples... In our everyday lives, the way that you and I can be an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed so desperate in the garden so that the world will believe in Jesus and find salvation and life in him is by obeying, embracing, by living out the one another commandments that we're unpacking during the summer of one. And listen, when we do this, when you do this, not only will we create an appealing and compelling Jesus community, but your life will begin to look more and more like the life that Jesus lived when he wore flesh and walked this planet. Get it? Good. And so far, we've looked at how God has commanded me and he's commanded you to serve one another, to forgive one another, to carry one another's burdens. The question, did you think if everyone in this room did that, do you think that if every Jesus follower that calls Maple Grove home actively and actually served one another, forgave one another, and carried one another's burdens, do you, do you think that that would help us create a community that a dark and desperate, lonely, broken, hurting world would want to be a part of? You betcha. And by the way, Jesus sets both the pace and the example for serving one another, for forgiving one another, and for carrying one another's burdens. And so the question is, have you done any one anothering during the last four weeks? 
So the last four weeks, have you served anyone in this Jesus gathering? Have you forgiven anyone or sought forgiveness from anyone? And have you come alongside someone and carried their burdens? If so, awesome, 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 awesome. Jesus can see the awesome sauce flowing all over you. If not, that's not so awesome. Get busy. This morning, we're going to look at another command of Jesus to you and I to encourage one another. And the way I want to attack this conversation is by answering two simple questions. First, why should you encourage? And then second, how do you encourage? Now, in the New Testament, the word that is most often translated encourage is the Greek word parakaleo. Say that with me, parakaleo, parakaleo. And it's made up of two Greek words, para meaning alongside of, and kaleo meaning to call forth. I understand when, when, when people come alongside of us during difficult times to give us, to, to call forth from us, to put into us a renewed courage, a renewed spirit, a renewed hope, that's called encouragement. That's called parakaleo. Parakaleo was used by in speeches that leaders gave to urge frightened and timid troops to go into battle. I am William Wallace, you know, and I see, right? I love that speech. And even our English word carries the very same idea, encourage, right? What does it mean to encourage? It means to put courage into somebody who needs it. The definition to inspire with courage, spirit of hope, to spur on, to, to give help. And I want to give you a picture, because when I thought of encourage, this image popped into my mind instantly, and what it looks like to encourage someone who needs encouragement at that moment, to spur them on. And it's from 1996. Some of you were not born then. I was 36 years then. That's ridiculous, but I'm not claiming that right now. It's the Summer Olympics. The U.S. gymnastics team has never won a team competition, the women, never won. And they're about to clinch it. And their final round of vaults, and they think, oh, we, gotta do, we make our vaults, we're good to go, and a bunch of Americans have fallen. And, and, and then Carrie Shrug gets up, and she makes her vault, and she falls. When she falls, she also does something to her ankle, and she comes off limping, and she goes back to her coach, Bella, and here's what Bella said to her. And Carrie later said that's all he had. Greatest gymnast in the world, and all he could come up with was, you can do it. You can do it. And so she goes up there, and she makes her jump. This is a clip showing her jumping the first time, hurting her ankle, and then making that final jump because her coach came alongside of her and encouraged her. Is that powerful or what? And that's encouragement, to come alongside and to call forth. So... Why should you encourage? Number one, because the triune God is all about encouragement. Understand, as you look through the scripture, you see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all about encouragement, are all about the depositing courage into the lives and hearts of people. Paul wrote the following to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, parakaleo, 
who comforts us in our difficulties so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in the comfort and the encouragement of God too. God the Father is a God of encouragement, and we see that throughout the Bible. We see him encouraging a guy named Abraham. You will be the father of a great nation. We see him encouraging a, a timid soul named Gideon, telling him as he's hiding from the enemies, you are a mighty warrior. We see him telling an 80-year-old guy in the desert, you will be my deliverer. You see him telling a guy named Joshua about to enter the promised land who was very afraid, do not be Terrified, do not be afraid, but be strong and courageous, for I go with you wherever you go. You see him tell a prophet named Elijah who is battling serious depression, saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? Get up. I got a mission for you. And by the way, Elijah, you're not alone. There are 7,000 people who've never bowed the knee to Baal. God the Father is a God of encouragement, and so is God the Son in one of his letters, Paul reminds the church in Thessalonica of this, that Jesus at his core is an encourager. And may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father encourage you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. God loved us and through his grace he gave us a good hope and encouragement that continues forever. Yes, Jesus is all about encouragement. I mean, the gospels, we see him right time and time again coming alongside of people and through his words and through his actions, pouring courage into those people. And one of the names for the, the Spirit, God the Spirit, is paraclete, right? The, the encourager. In fact, that's how Jesus referred to him in, in John chapter 16. But I tell you the truth, it's better for me that I go away. When I go away, I will send the helper, the encourager, the paraclete to you. But I do not go away. The helper, the encourager, the paraclete will not come. Why should you encourage? Because the triune God is all about encouragement and you're made in his image. Number two, because one of the primary purposes of the Bible is encouragement. Paul writes, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. The scriptures give us patience and encouragement so that we can have hope. The scriptures give us patience and courage and that we can have hope. Paul says that one of the main purposes of scripture is to, is to give us encouragement so that we may have hope. And I stand before you today as someone who has experienced more times than I can count the supernatural renewing encouragement that comes from this book. I have experienced it time and time and time again. This book has picked me up when I was down. It is giving me hope when I had no hope. It has quenched my thirst when I was dry. This book has given me strength when I felt weak. It has pushed me forward when I wanted to quit and throw in the towel. This book has given me peace even while living in the midst of storms. This book has renewed my spirit and given rest for my soul when my soul was so downcast within me. I love this book. I need this book. It encourages me. I, I, I do something really, well, I do a lot of things really weird. Uh, uh, but but it, in, in January, uh, excuse me, December the 9th, 2009, I began doing something that's now something I do all the time. Um, I, I was in Dallas, Texas, visiting my mom, very discouraged period of my life. Um, felt God was done with me and 
I was too old to do anything that would count for God. And I went to a church and the preacher said, looking at Zachariah and Elizabeth, those old people that had John the Baptist, and said, it's never too late to be used by God. And my brother had a hat. I said, can I have your hat? And I wrote that down, December 9th, 2009. And then I got a bunch of other things written in there. And, 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 and I, I recently went to Brazil. This is my Brazil hat. I know it's bright yellow. It's the only color they had, right? And, and, and what I'll do, here's a picture of what's written in here. You know, I just got the hat. You know, I was sitting on, on the preacher's porch early on Sunday morning reading the Isaiah 50. And, and God said, just trust in the Lord and rely on your God. I go, that's good. Let me write that in my hat, you know. And, 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 then, and then a little later, he had me on, on the 15th when I was reading Isaiah 53 about what Jesus did and what he gave me and how he paid for my debt and I'm healed through his wounds and, and, and how the Isaiah said, hey, does anybody believe this message? And I wrote, hey, believe his message, man. This is yours, right? You know, and, 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 and then there's another one I, I wrote a few days ago. The Lord, the Lord, are you kidding me, is my shepherd. And actually, there's a new one on there. It came up today, and it doesn't show up. But as I was reading today, Psalm 23, rocking on my shepherd, and all of a sudden, you know, God brought to mind Psalm 4610. That's in my hat now. Cease striving and know that I'm God. And what I'll do, it may be weird, I'll get up some days, you know what I need? I need this hat on today. Right? And that's how I do my quiet times. I find me a hat. I look what's written in, and I surround my head with the truths of God that they can encourage me. It may be weird, but I'm okay with it. So when I go on a mission trip, I go somewhere, I get me a hat, and I begin to write in that hat. Why should you encourage? Because, number three, God has commanded you to. Listen, when the sovereign king of the universe tells you to jump, your response should be what? How high, sir? How high? That is if you love God and know God, right? Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you obey my commandments. He said to the apostle John in, in John's letters, right? He says, those who say they know me, they got the t-shirt bumper sticker, show up to church, but do not do what I say, they're a liar. <laughs> and the truth's not in them. And so God says to us, says to me, says to you that we're to encourage one another. He says it four times. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another, build each other up just as you are already doing. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As long as it's called today. And today is only called today, today. Which means you should encourage today, right? That it's a now thing right? You encourage now. And then he says in Hebrews 10, and let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You should encourage because the trying God is an encourager. You should encourage because the Bible's all about encouraging. You should encourage because God told you to. Number four, because everybody battles discouragement. Has anyone in this room ever battled discouragement in their life, ever? Okay, okay, about three of us. Is anyone in this room a liar? All right, it's the rest of y'all, right? right? Uh, it's everybody's battle, right? 
I, 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 I mean, some people are, are discouraged right now. And most of us know that even if we're not discouraged now, that the ways of discouragement could soon come crashing against our lives. Now, a simple definition I have of, of discouragement is this. Discouragement is the gap between what we expect and what we actually experience. It's the expectation gap. And it can show up in countless ways, right? Uh, we want something, but we, we can't seem to be able to get it. Or, or we wanted something, a job, a relationship, an opportunity, and we actually got it, but it didn't turn out to be what we thought it would be. Discouragement can set in because of what other people say to us or about us, or it can set in because we continue to drink the, uh, the, the toxin of comparison. It, it can hit you when you're winning. It can hit you when you're losing. I mean, sometimes discouragement comes on you like a flood, right? And, and, and sometimes it's just the incessant drip of unmet expectations that never seem to go away. But regardless of how it got there, Discouragement always displaces hope, and it leaves us feeling like it's not working, so what's the point? You ever felt that way? It's not working, so what's the point? You see, it's one thing to pour yourself out, right, and get some results. It's another to pour yourself out, and you don't see anything coming back. There's no payoff. It's not working, so what is the point? You see, it's not pouring ourselves out for a worthy cause that depletes us. What depletes us is giving something, everything we have, and seeming to get nothing in return. In Maple Grove, when the internal dialogue of discouragement starts mouthing off in our mind and our heart, we need to remember that the enemy has a goal that goes way beyond putting you in a bad mood. He's trying to talk you out of trusting God's plan for your life. He's trying to derail and, and limit what God wants to do in and through you for your good and his glory. It's everybody's battle, right? If you're discouraged, it doesn't mean you're a spiritual wimp, right? It doesn't mean somehow you denied your faith, right? Enemy will tell you that, well, you got Jesus. How can you be discouraged? Because life stinks right now. Sorry, right? You know, and it doesn't mean God can't use you. Paul wrote half of the New Testament, Right? the most influential Christian arguably ever, yet he battled discouragement. Elijah battled discouragement. John the Baptist battled discouragement. My goodness, did David battle discouragement. His Psalms are like a journal of a guy who like, man, you need to, I know a good counselor, David, right? You need some help. You're just, so many times David said, my soul is downcast within me. Bottom line, we have more than enough people, things, and circumstances dissing our courage, discouraging us. What we need is more people inning our courage, encouraging us, pouring life into us. You should encourage because the triune God is all about encouragement. It's the purpose of the Bible. It's God tells you to, and man, so many people need it. They need someone to come alongside of them and tell them, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And brothers and sisters, you can be that somebody. You can be a paraclete. You can come alongside of somebody and pour in courage. How do we do that? Four simple things that will help you encourage one another and build one another up. Greet kindly. 
When you see somebody, greet kindly. Greet them kindly. You see, in every Jesus gathering, people come with two different types of attitudes. Some people come with the attitude of, I'm so glad you got to see me. (laughs) And others, I'm so glad to see you. And, and, And so whenever you are about to enter a group or a conversation, ask God, God, help me to be that second type of person. And then summon up a sincere greeting. Man, I'm so glad to see you. I mean, Jesus even talked about this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 12. When you knock on the door, be courteous in your greeting. I mean, how practical. That God says, hey, you know what? When you get ready to talk to somebody, why don't you be courteous in your greeting and sincere? 20 times in the New Testament, we're told to greet one another. Five times we're told to greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm thinking maybe we should do that during our two-minute, hey, welcome each other, right? I'm just kidding, right? Would that be so comfortable? Okay, guys, let's uh, do the holy kiss right now. We're not going to do that. Just kidding. That was a cultural thing, but we should extend a warm handshake. We should make eye contact, and we should be sincere. You know, I am so glad to see you. Greet kindly. Second, listen intently. A desperate and discouraged lady once came to see Jesus, and she was out of money, out of hope. She was out of health. She was even out of friends. She had suffered for 12 years with a blood issue. She was considered unclean. The doctors couldn't help her. She couldn't go worship in the temple. She wasn't allowed to be around people. She was cut off, and Jesus was coming through her town. And she assumed that he could help her, but there was a problem that Jesus was surrounded by people, and she wasn't supposed to be around people. But she overcame her fear. And as Jesus was walking through the crowd, she walked towards Jesus. That was a crowd of people celebrating who Jesus was. And the the synagogue ruler was taking Jesus back to his home because his daughter was dying. So it was an urgent trip. But nevertheless, she weaved her hand through the crowd and reached out and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. You probably know the story. And she was healed. And Jesus felt power come out from him. And he said, whoa, who touched me? And his disciples were like, what, are you kidding me? Like, everybody is touching you. And he goes, no, no, you know, there's touch and there's touch. She had touched him. Now, she might have been hesitant, but she, because she wasn't supposed to be touching people, she was unclean. But Jesus would not move until he got an answer to his question, who touched me? And following Mark 5, 33, he tells us, she came shaking with fear and knelt down in front of Jesus, then she told him her whole story. The question, how, how long do you think had it been since someone had listened to her story? Jesus took time to hear her story. I mean, the, the city leaders are pulling him. His disciples are pushing him. There's a girl that's dying, and Jesus gave her his full, undivided attention. He heard her whole story. And finally said, their daughter, be a good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And it's the only time in Scripture Jesus ever called a woman daughter. He encouraged her. He he blessed her. I understand. He he didn't need to hear her story. I I mean, right? He could have healed her, right? And then went on about, about his business. But maybe Jesus wanted to do more than heal her body. Maybe Jesus wanted to heal a wound that was in her heart. And so he heard her story. Understand, when you listen to somebody... When you stop everything, when you mute the TV, when you close the laptop, when you put away the cell phone, when you lock eyes with somebody and you listen to their story, 
You, you are giving them one of the rarest things in our world today, your undivided attention. And that, my brothers and sisters, encourages them. Get it? Good. Now you can do that, right? I mean, you don't have to go to college to do that. You don't need special training to do that, right? You already know how. You just need to do it. You know what? And I'm so excited that this week, right, that someone you know is going to get the gift this week of your undivided attention, and they're going to be encouraged. Another idea is praise specifically. Be specific in your praise. Uh, passage in Hebrews that talks about it, one of our commands to encourage one another, says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, some are the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider. I, I, I call this premeditated praise. Yeah, there's spontaneous praise that is random and very, and very genuine, but there is also premeditated praise. There's this kind of praise where you're like, you know what? I am going to find so-and-so. And I'm going to tell him or I'm going to tell her something. I'm going to figure out what I need to say to spur her on, to spur him on, and I'm going to find them, and I'm going to look them in the eye, and I'm going to praise them specifically. And listen, our premeditated praise, our words have tremendous power. Tremendous power. Proverbs 12, 6 says, the words of the wicked are like a murderous ambush. Man, I've been ambushed by words before of you. But the words of the godly, what? Save lives. Worry weighs a person down. Encouraging word cheers a person up. Proverbs 15, 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 15, 23, how good is a timely word. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. I love what author and, and counselor and awesome dude Larry Crabb writes in his book, Encouragement, the Unexpected Power of Building Others Up. Here's what Larry writes. God intends for us to be a people who use words to encourage one another. A well-timed word has the power to urge a runner to finish the race. To rekindle hope when despair has set in. Uh, to spark a bit of warmth in an otherwise cold life. Uh, to trigger healthful self-evaluation to people who don't think much about their shortcomings. To renew confidence when problems have the upper hand. A well-timed word has power. I, I received some of those well-timed words, some of those honeycomb dripping words several years back when I was going through a really hard time. And, and, and they left a note in an envelope with my name on it. And they also, I knew they knew me well because they left the New England Patriot coffee mug for me. And here's the note they left. It's on my desk today. Dear son, I see everything you're doing for my kingdom. I'm very proud of you and where you are leading this church on my behalf. Carry on. I'm with you all the way. Your dad, the great I am. Still don't know who that was. And maybe it was God. You know, it could have been. It was God speaking through them. And I got to tell you, I was encouraged by that specific praise. Let's be a Jesus gathering. Let's be a people of a specific praise. 
Let us consider. I think we're pretty good at discouraging people, right? We know how to do that. We got that one down. Let's put that one on the shelf. Let's garage sale that one, and, and let's get good at how we can spur people on. Let's embrace what Paul said in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? But only what is helpful for what? Building others up. Is what you're about to say going to build up or tear down? If it's going to tear down, let's keep our mouth shut, right? Thumper is a great theologian in Bambi, right? If they can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Boy, that, that would help every relationship we're in, right? According to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. If you, if you look around, I want everybody to turn around and look at the sound booth, and you're going to see something underneath that sound booth. Go ahead, turn around. And it says, encourage one another. And, and, and what I, I, at, at every kiosk there, you know, I have these large post-it notes where you can write somebody's name and you can write a specific encouragement. And for now, for the rest of the series, you grab one of these, maybe during our response time, you write their name on it and you stick it on that board and they'll come by and pick it up. But I, I, and I got to tell you, I prayed over these things and what excites me is, is the simple fact of knowing that, you know what, one of these notes are going to be stuck on that wall to somebody who's really discouraged, and it's going to breathe life into them. It's going to put bounce back into their step. It's going to put hope back into their life. It's going to drive back the darkness that is trying to consume them, right? The power of our words is going to be so incredible. And they're all over the place, these notes, and we're going to do that. I hope I have to buy new notes really, really soon. Read kindly, listen intently, pray specifically, and point upwardly. The two books we find our commands are First Thessalonians and Hebrews. And you look at the context, it's obvious that Paul and the writer of Hebrews was trying, hey, I got to point you guys upward, right? I, I, I got to point you upward because life's got you down. The church of Thessalonica, he pointed them upward because they had lost loved ones. That's hard. And they were discouraged, and they were grieving the loss, and, 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 and Paul knew that, and, and, and they're also confused, like, hey, if Jesus comes now, and, like, they're not alive, are they, like, are, gonna, are they going to miss out? And Paul tells them, hey, no, 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 they're not going to miss out. He says, I, I don't want you to grieve like people that don't have hope, right? He says, because, hey, I believe who Jesus is, I believe he's coming back, and I, and I believe that guess what's going to happen when he comes back, those Loved ones who are gone. Got any? I do. You know, if he came back today, my loved ones who are in the grave, man, they're going to, boom, flap in the air, get their immortal body, and they'll be chilling with Jesus. And as soon as they're done, he's going to weigh me up, and I'll be up there too. And, like, we'll be there, like, forever, right? And Paul says, you know what? Encourage people with those words. Remind them of their future, right? You see, when we point upward, we're reminding people of their future forever with Jesus, and we're also pointing them to the awesome covenant they get to be a part of, right? And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. See, it, it, Hebrews was written to people who were wanting to give up. It, it was written to Jewish Christians who were wanting to throw in the towel that they were quitting, who were saying, I, I can't take it anymore. Following Jesus is too hard. We're losing friends. We're, we're losing property. Some of our... Some of our folks have been thrown into prison. Our world is shattered. So I, I want to go back to how it used to be. 
And the writer says, no, 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 no. Don't go back. Keep pressing forward. He says, yeah, I know you want to go back. I know you feel like going back. I know you think that it's not worth it. To keep going, I, I know it doesn't look like this Jesus thing is panning out, but he wrote the book to say, don't stop. Don't turn around. And throughout the letter, he reminds them and us again and again and again, man, please lean in. That Jesus is better. That Jesus is worth it. And that what they have in Jesus, what we have in Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins, a renewed and restored fellowship with God, a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, being part of a kingdom that is unshakable and will stand until the end of time and beyond, and total access 24-7 to the throne room of God, where we can enter with full assurance and confidence. So he said, don't go back. He was pointing them to the simple gospel and saying, don't go back. Jesus is better. I know it's hard, but what you have in Jesus is better than anything you'll find anywhere else. So he tells them and us, we're about done, but lean in. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For who promises faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another onto love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Understanding, pointing upwardly is about telling people the truth. Telling them the truth about their incredible forever with Jesus. Telling them the truth about this amazing covenant that they get to be a part of, this agreement with God, the simple gospel. And it's about telling them the truth about who they are. It's about going toe-to-toe with this tsunami of discouragement and telling people the truth, telling them you are made by God, you are known by God, you are loved by God, you are chosen by God. God is for you, God is with you, God has a dream for you, God has a future for you. The Lord is your shepherd, you have everything you need. It's about pointing upward. Somebody needs to tell people the truth. I say, let's be that somebody. And let's encourage one another and build one another up.